0: Welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. Each week, we interview up and coming founders of some of the fastest growing mid-stage startups across the world. Your host is Roland Siebelink, who will share some of his own experience helping startups scale from 10 to 1,000 people in a few years. Here is Roland.
1: Hello and welcome to the Midstage Startup Momentum Podcast. I am Roland Siebeling, founder and CEO of the Midstage Institute. And I'm here with co-founder of the Midstage Institute, Doug Miller. Hello, Doug, my friend.
0: Hello, Roland, my friend. How are you? And hello to everyone listening to the podcast out there. I think this will be a very engaging conversation and hopefully we'll have a lot of useful tidbits for all of you founders, CEOs, and executives steering your startups and SaaS companies through these turbulent storms.
1: Yes, that's exactly the reason why we decided to just do a conversation between the both of us. Normally, we have, of course, external guests on our podcast, but uh, today we want to have an in-depth discussion of the downturn that is currently happening, how to respond to it, and how to be a good leader in the lean times.
0: Exactly. And these are conversations we're having with many of our clients today. A few of them are not being impacted. But many of them are being impacted by this downturn and these uh, lower valuations. And so what we really want to do is bring the best practices we're working with all of them about and what we're seeing have great traction out to all of you so that your uh, companies can not only survive, but also thrive through this downturn and come out even stronger.
1: Yeah, and for those that may be new to the Mid-Stage Institute, maybe it's a good reminder, Doug, to tell them what kind of companies we focus on in particular so that we are all sure that the content we share here today is actually relevant to the people listening to this podcast.
0: Absolutely. Great call out. So um, we work with technology companies, SaaS, hardware, and other associated companies across the United States and internationally, and we really help them From late Series A through, depending on how large, through Series D, help them scale and get their companies to operate as efficiently and as effectively as possible and overcome all of those growth pains that both Roland and I have encountered. And I think our combined 50 plus years in startups in Silicon Valley and in Europe.
1: Yeah, probably probably over five unicorns under our belt and um, many failures as well. Let's not deny that, right? So of course, this is still the startup world. So failures are going to happen. But yes, uh, if this is, uh, you are listening here as a early startup founder, for example, pre-product market fit, then this advice does not apply to you. Some of it may, but generally this is really focused on those companies that already have product market fit, that have had sizable sales, for a few years, most likely, most of them will be between the 5 and $50 million ARR. So make sure that this actually applies to you because, of course, our first learning, the Mid Sage Institute, is that advice, that, advice in one, that applies in one phase may not actually apply to you in a different phase.
0: Very, very well said. And I definitely think that, uh, you know, especially as you're on the lower end of that revenue stream survival really becomes really critical during these downturns. And especially if you're a first-time founder, um, you and you maybe um, have not experienced the dot-com bubble burst of 2000, or the great recession of 2008, or the downturn during COVID in 2020, Um, Roland and I have fortunately and unfortunately experienced all of those um, on various (laughs) stages of companies. Um, And so uh, the first thing we want everyone to be aware is that winter is here, spring will come, And the question is, will your company survive until spring? And that's what we wanna make sure that not only are able to survive through this winter, but that when you come out, you're gonna be in a healthier place than all of your
1: competitors. Absolutely. And so let's stop talking about how old we are. Let's delve into this uh, downturn. Um, so you c- collected quite a few articles, Doug, around the bubble bursting. Of course, we've had many conversations too, right? So uh, what's the overall take, would you say, of the of the press, the popular analysts looking at the tech sector in particular?
0: So I think that after the small recession in 2020 during COVID, where everything fell, tech really led the market back with crazy high valuations relative to today, and um, and companies got a lot of money and the funding environment was very easy. Now valuations are down substantially. VC money is slowing down substantially. A lot of the very large funds are stopping their VC investments to figure out what's going on. So effectively raising capital in the next six to nine to potentially 12 months is gonna be incredibly difficult. So we're advising most of our clients that you likely will not be able to raise capital and so you need to find a way to increase your runway. Now, here's a point where Roland and I disagree, uh, not a bit, but if I was to bet, I would be thinking, how do I make sure my runway extends at least 12 months? And how in six months can I reevaluate that and make sure I can extend my runway out to another six months or 12 months past that point? I think that um, Roland and many things that he's read, he's a little bit potentially more pessimistic and things that companies really have to batten down the hatches and make sure they can survive for more than just 12 months roland what's your take on
1: that yeah i would add a bit of nuance to that i would say two three questions maybe come to mind so the first is how do you define the crisis and is this really the time when you're when it's impossible to uh, raise funds for all but the very best companies Caveat, every founder thinks they are the very best companies, but this is your investor's call, not yours, right? So it is going to be really hard. I agree with Doug on that. I agree with you that most likely within a year, it'll be easier to raise funds again, but not at a valuation you find in any way reasonable. And I think that most likely we'll still be looking at valuations that are about half of the maximum that we were used to, maybe even a little bit lower. So if you are in a bind here and you need money right away, then definitely you have to find a way to stretch that runway for about a year until you have a chance to raise money again. But even then you would want to have a very good plan about how much money do you actually need to raise because it may come very expensive to you. And so uh, in general, I would say if you can stretch it in any way to 24 years or even to default alive or default profitable, as Y Combinator sometimes calls it, you may be far better off, even if it doesn't actually drive the hyper growth that you were used to uh, working towards up to now.
0: Very well said, but Roland, just so you all know, Roland meant 24 months, not 24 years. So he's okay, saying please. if you could extend your runway to 24 months, and I do agree with this you're likely to get much better valuations for your company and primarily for two reasons. One, I think the fundraising situation will be back to normal, maybe not the normal of 2020, 2021, or early 2022, but back to the normal of 2016 or 17. And secondarily, I think that if you're able to survive and thrive and extend that runway, um, it will clear a lot of your competitors out of the market because they will not be there which will mean you'll have a much easier route to see as more market share um, in a credible way, which will also help with those valuations. I know many founders, Roland, we've worked with over the past few years who have been on their third or fourth or fifth company have said that, you know, 2000 was a blessing in disguise. It cleared a lot of the bad companies out. Same thing with 2008. Unfortunately, 2000 wasn't long enough to really clear it out. the companies that come out of this in the next 12 to 24 months that are stronger and are better positioned and have the capital they need are really going to be able to be the dominant players in their markets going forward. And we hope that some of you that are listening take some of the things we're going to talk about today to get there.
1: Absolutely. And I think that there are absolutely also opportunities in a downturn. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in this recording. But I would also say a little coming back to a little bit of historical context, Doug made an extensive point about how old we are. Let's just say how experienced. And I would want to say to those that are, you know, maybe at the first startup or maybe late 20s, early 30s, that the reality you've learned so far is actually in two ways been ahistorical, right? So, first, the fact that there was a very long high of about 12, 13 years of extremely high valuation and ever-rising valuations. That's historically not actually what we've seen in the venture capital area and uh, the startup community. What was more normal in the past is that there would be a business cycle of a down and an up in about a 10-year cycle, which is why most VC funds have a 10-year cycle horizon and we just haven't seen that historically and I want you to be aware that that's historically an exception and the other big exception that we all lived through last year was of course the extremely fast crisis of COVID, which for tech turned out more of a blessing in disguise. And that is something that I don't think we can expect with more of a normal economic downturn as we see right now. So when I say be pessimistic, it's primarily to guard against that optimism of, okay, if we just hunker down for three months, that'll be enough. I don't think that's gonna be the case here.
0: I could not agree with you more. And just to add some context to this, just talking about the US economy, the average recession lasts 10 months. Mm-hmm. That means at least for 10 months, things are likely to be suppressed. The Great Recession lasts 18 months. But again, your evaluations are going to lag six or 12 months after an economic downturn happens, and they may never get back to what you view as the current normal.
1: Yes, exactly. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how to basically maintain yourself as a founder in those changing times. But the last thing I wanted to come back to, Doug, is this argument that people say, you know, but it shouldn't matter because VCs have raised so many funds and it's all dry powder waiting to be invested. So why does the economy matter to them if they've already raised all that money? Can we talk about that for a second?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. With interest rates rising, there are other places people can make money. Um, Mm -hmm. There have also been a number of spectacular failures and funds have to make returns overall. And investors can also choose not to continue to fund and pull their money out of VC funds. And many of the VC funds have announced just in the last couple of weeks that they're not making any investments in the short term. So you know, this is really a major change and Honestly, it doesn't matter how experienced Roland and I are, in our adult lives, we have not experienced inflation. So that's another wild card that's coming in to this whole environment.
1: Yes. uh, Well, basic economics, of course, that if inflation is higher and interest rates are higher, not only can you make more money in other things, but also businesses that promise long-term payoffs, such as typical tech startups, the cost of money will make sure that those long-term payoffs are worth a lot less than they were before. Yeah. So just the valuation models are changing. Also, very practically, I have not been a VC, but I've worked with people who are. And they say, you know, even if a fund gets committed to, committed does not mean the cash is in the bank. What right. they do is they make a capital call every time they wanna announce an investment and then their investors or limited partners as their call have to actually transfer the money every time a new investment is being uh, pitched to them. And while legally, maybe they might be obliged in a circumstance like this, no VC is gonna put pressure on their limited partners to actually transfer that money. And that's why when you hear dry powder, that's not actually dry powder in the bank. It basically just means an overall commitment that the VC is to be willing to call limited partners on. And that's not going to happen in these times when everything is so insecure.
0: Very well said. And that's a big nuance that founders sometimes miss because they think VCs have the money in the bank and they do have it in their partners' banks, but not necessarily in their accounts to fund companies. Very well said.
1: Yes, and uh, just the partner's capital is not going to fund it, especially a lot of the limited partners are not following. It would undermine the entire business model. Okay, okay. so we've uh, taken away that nuance. We've compared it with COVID. And yes, we do agree that, of course, it is seasonal. So in the end, there will be a springtime. But I think we've also made clear you cannot just wait and sit down and, and wait until springtime returns. You have to take action in order to actually proactively reach springtime and make sure the company still survives at that time, right? Yes, unquestionably. Are we
0: uh, getting to our crisis framework now, Roland? Oh, yes. Let me
1: quickly pitch that. We had a book coming out in the early days of COVID. You can recognize it by the mask that has now become so prevalent. It's called Leading Your Startup Through Crisis. And what we introduced there is like the crisis framework. So C-R-I-S-I-S which really stands for communicate, reassess, instruct, sustain, inspire, and then spot opportunities. So part of this still applies in this crisis, but this was written very specifically for COVID. So it can be an inspiration. At the same time, I would say we'll add some nuance to that framework as we talk through the recording further down in this podcast.
0: Roland, as you think about the founders we're working with, what's the first thing you're helping those uh, founders work through?
1: Yeah. So it really depends on what angle they come to us with, of course. Right. But what I often, or what we often make them aware of is that they need to be in charge of themselves before they can be in charge of the company. And that sounds very woolly potentially, but what I really mean with that is that you need to find a Degree of certainty and a degree of openness in yourself in order to maintain yourself as a credible leader in this time. It's easier to explain by contrasting with what you should not be or what you should not do. So, and of, of course, none of these examples are any of our clients. Let me like, make that very clear because they know better. But we sometimes see founders who, in the face of a big valuation slump, like happens now will maintain that this is all BS and essentially their company must still be worth the very same as it was before, even in the face of the entire economic framework, the changing, every investor starting to value things differently. If you are not in touch with reality changing, then that really undermines your credibility as a founder. And of course, we're all loss averse as humans, so it can really be painful, like literally painful, to have to give give up on this dream of, I was once worth more than a billion dollars, right? as an example. But if the situations change, if you want to remain an effective leader, you have to also be able to see that what you play with is changing, your environment is changing, and in order to respond to it well, you have to be aware of that environment and properly reassess it. So self-management, in a way, is one of the very first requirements of a leader so that you can work with that new environment and also communicate effectively to people what you see changing and how you want their behavior to be different.
0: Well said. Many of the clients I'm working with are coming to us saying, okay, I'm projecting 20, 30% lower revenues. I'm projecting lower growth, these types of things. What do I do next? But then many of, in fact, one company that I'm an angel investor in, um, they are not seeing that. And so the conversations we're having with them Outside of the practice is really around, hey, is it reasonable that your val that your valuation is not going to change? Mm-hmm. Are you really a unicorn right now in this market? And the answer is no, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately the answer is no. And this is really where if you're not able to kind of understand, you know, the stormy seas that are coming here, you can't be a credible captain for your ship. Mm-hmm. One, you're not going to turn it into the big waves. Two, none of your crew is going to follow you, right? And so as Roland said, you really have to be self-aware of what is happening and how this has changed your customers, your company, your valuation, and that then leads to you having to lead, change how you lead your team and the company through this coming crisis. So you're going to change with the changing world. What's next,
1: Roland? Well, I would say that part of that self-management is also don't wait with communicating to your team until you're 100% sure, right? It's okay to communicate where you have your doubts, where you're not sure yet. But in times of crisis, people want to hear from you, which is why that crisis framework I mentioned before started with the C of communicate. I think we even said communicate, communicate, communicate in triplets, because it is so important in these times. Many of the startups we work with in times of crisis start doing like Weekly video calls posted on Slack or it's maybe weekly all hands or whatever the case is that people even throughout the world in in, um, uh, distributed offices or working from home can all see and hear what the CEO is thinking, even if that guidance is not all that clear yet and they're just sharing that they're not sure but what they are communicating is, I know the world is changing. I am reassessing. We are on it with people and we're doing our best to survive through these bad times and make sure everyone is still on board at the end if we can.
0: Very well said. And I think the key thing there is to project confidence Mm -hmm. in a changing environment and that you and the leadership team are reassessing and are planning and that everybody should stay focused on how to drive profitable growth, how to drive cash in their own individual areas as the overall environment's being reassessed by the leadership team. And definitely, and this is really important, uh, one uh, leader we work with, I was talking to the other day, celebrate the small wins every week. Mm-hmm. If you get a big renewal, if you get an upsell, if you turn a one-year contract into a three-year contract, celebrate those small things showing that there's still good momentum with your company that people can tangibly actually feel. So they feel like, okay, maybe the sky is falling everywhere else, but we are still making progress going forward. So that way you can both have that credibility of there are small wins coming and you're reassessing because you're you're a great leader who's acknowledging the world has changed. We're Mm going to have to make some changes along with that, but we're also winning right now as we move forward in the current environment.
1: Yes. And I think to the point of confidence, of course, confidence is supremely important and it would be confidence about I can handle this situation. We can survive this situation. I would say don't try to optimize for overconfidence in the sense of we're great and we're killing it and that's it. Right. So it is winter and you have to acknowledge that it's winter and that not everything is going to be as easy as it may have felt before while it was summer or, or fall.
0: Very, very, very well said. So, we talked about communication. And then, you know, I think we've already talked about the dry powder and the VC mm-hmm. funding. So, I think this gets us that, you know, growth was king in the previous world. I think cash is now becoming king.
1: Yes. And this is probably, especially again, for those people who have not lived through previous VC downturns yet, they feel probably that. In the startup world, all that matters is growth. And that is true when it's an upswing. But when it's a downswing, then suddenly everything starts mattering more on the bottom line. Now we're starting to see calls for how can you generate more cash? How can you maybe have less growth, especially when it's unprofitable in the short term? Now you have to start focusing on things like what's the return on investment? How quickly does all of this pay back? How quickly can I get to positive cash flow? I was just reading a blog post this morning that said that VCs are now trying to focus the remaining investments they still envision, if there are any, on those companies that are able to get to 30% free cash flow in a very short time frame. So instead of your path to tripling, tripling, doubling, 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 now the question is going to be, what's your path towards that 30% free cash flow? And that really means rejigging a lot of what you do in your company, of course, from a total optimization on just increasing that top line at no matter what cost to what is the core, what do we do well, what can we do profitably, and what's all the other costs that we've generated that will not contribute meaningfully to our bottom line, not our top line, bottom line in the short term. Very well said. And
0: we did mention before, the world has changed. Mm -hmm. We're not looking for 300% growth. We're looking for thirty percent free cash flow.
1: Exactly, that's a
0: big, big, big change for everyone in the market right now. Um, and that not only means you know, uh, looking at every customer. Sometimes you have very large or very promising customers who are very unprofitable. You may have to have a hard conversation with them. If you're losing money on a customer, this is not a time where you can afford to keep them. You have to have those hard conversations. You should try and work with them. But the great thing here is. You can have that conversation with customers. Everyone's aware of this. The other thing that we recommend is you can go to all of your vendors and ask for a 20% discount. There's no reason not to go and ask them all for it. Nobody's going to question why you're asking it. They may not give it to you, but it can't hurt to ask.
1: And don't just think like because you used to be, let's maybe just second tier on the growth rate, maybe you didn't quite make double, triple, triple, double, 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 but you were growing like 60, 70% a year or something like that. That will not necessarily save you. So that same blog post I referred to this morning said that 30% free cash flow is where VCs will concentrate all of their investments, even actively withdrawing investments from the second tier investments that they have if they don't see a fast path to uh, free cash flow they also made the point that some of the actual growth champions may actually have the hardest time to get through free cash flow because they've optimized so much on just increasing that top line every time so this is truly a total course change and it will require a lot of creative thinking a lot of you know total perspective changes in your team right
0: Yep. I mean, we talk a lot about sacred cows mm-hmm. with our client base, right? What are the sacred cows? What are the things that you would never think about cutting? What, what do you would never think about touching? They're central to your business. If they're not generating cash, they shouldn't be at your company going forward, right? At least in the short term,
1: right? Yeah. You this know? is the the famous Winston Churchill saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. All those things that have frustrated you over the years, like why do we keep spending money on this project that never seems to be driving a return, but it's somebody's pet project. Or we always tell ourselves, this is gonna work out in the next year, even if it hasn't for for the last three or four. That's what we call a sacred cow. Those things where you know it's better not to challenge them because we're just gonna end up in a huge fight and nothing's gonna happen. Times have changed there too. And this is the time to start saying, folks, what are we doing? Why are we still spending money on that? It's good money going after bad. And in these times we simply cannot afford that anymore.
0: Very well said. You know, it could be three of your customers who provide a lot of your revenue, but it's not profitable revenue. It may be you have a suite of five products and two of them are profitable and three are not. You really have to look at what can you do at your core that's gonna generate cash so you can survive this winter So when you come out the other side you can dominate your market but right now it's about survival
1: it is and uh, just to state the obvious perhaps but i see many companies that have never done this all your charts so far have probably been just about top line revenue and so you look at like who generates the most revenue and you think of them as your most profitable customers but i will tell every startup out there that the actual profitability numbers can be vastly different we've often seen startups that think these are the most important customers and when they actually do the calculations because of all the custom deals they did for them or the extra features or the little shortcuts in their systems, these customers actually tend out while they generate a lot of revenue, a lot of top line, the costs involved are actually so much bigger that they're actually detracting from the profit, let alone from the cash flow. This is very unintuitive to people, especially if they haven't done business training or gone through through finance courses. So work closely with your CFO or your VP of finance. Listen to them for a change, I might add, right? Listen to them for a change and have them do an analysis on a profitability basis rather than on a revenue basis. It will generate a vastly different perspective and you'll be surprised how much of your good money you're throwing after bad now that your perspective is changing
0: no and just to sort of highlight the emotional part of that uh bismarck lepe who's the ceo of wiseline wrote mm-hmm. her, i believe it was in 2016. he actually was an intern of mine when he was an undergraduate at stanford much <laughs> so more cool. talented than i am much more talented but he basically said directly time decisions suck uh, you're gonna have to make suck. hard decisions they suck if the decisions you're making aren't hard you're not making the right decisions.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Right. If the easy decisions are not gonna cut it in this case, right? So that's why we say, together with Winston Churchill, you know, don't let uh, a good crisis go to waste. This is the time to make hard decisions and where everyone also respects that you're making hard decisions. In a crisis, you can push through a lot more that wasn't possible before.
0: Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more hot startups and interviews with some of the highest momentum startup founders in tech today.